0: Friends at Sharif University in in Tehran and throughout Iran today, as uh, you have asked me to come up with a very brief video about the whole situation involving the Constitution of the United States, very briefly, uh, and then some discussion of the modern electoral process in this country. You're going to discover that perhaps there's little to no relationship between the two at all. That's a matter of opinion, of course. But I'm going to do my best in 15 to 20 minutes to give you a brief summation of uh, what I think it has been the history of this process, as well as the very lamentable state of it now. I'd like to begin with George Washington, the first president of the United States and the founding fathers in terms of the Constitution of the United States. With the Constitution of the United States, we have had something called the Electoral College. I'm not going to say too much about that now other than to say that if you're looking for a couple of good explanations as to why this system was created this way, uh, one is Clarence Carson's book, Basic American Government. Uh, another one is a very fine uh, video uh, and tape uh, and book system devised by a friend of mine, Pastor John Idesmo, who, like me, is a Lutheran pastor. That system is entitled Institute on the Constitution, if you can get it. But suffice again to say that when we look at the Constitution of the United States, the Electoral College comes into play. We deal with the whole business of the original intent of the Constitution. What was the original intent of the founders when they wrote the Constitution of the United States? as opposed to situations today where modern American courts come up with rulings based upon the Constitution of the United States that clearly could not possibly have been the original intent of the framers of the Constitution. That's a very, very key tension uh, in terms of the American political and legal and constitutional scene. There are two other things perhaps that ought to be mentioned about the uh, American Constitution. One especially uh, impacts everyone you and me article one section eight of the american constitution indicates that there must be a formal declaration of war by the united states congress both houses of it the house and the senate in order to authorize the armed forces of the united states to be involved in a foreign conflict when in my lifetime has any american president in conjunction with the American Congress operated in wars, according to Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution? The answer is none. Zip. Nada. This is a very, very serious situation, of course, when it comes to the modern state of the American Zio Empire, which finds itself involved in all of these different situations militarily that the Founding Fathers of the United States could not possibly have envisioned and would not have authorized. And so we start talking about the Constitution of the United States again. Uh, original intent is a factor. Uh, the whole question of uh, the Constitution uh, as far as the separation of powers between the, the executive branch of the government, the legislative and the judicial, uh, the electoral college I've already mentioned, in terms of why that was seen to be such a brilliant system for conducting an election when the American Republic was founded. And the American Republic, as I understand it, by the way, has little, if anything, to do with the modern Zio-American Empire, which is a completely perverted entity, in my view. And then, of course, as I have already emphasized, Article One, Section 8 gives the United States government the authority to send American people into combat uh, in a foreign war only... With an act of Congress according to Article one, Section eight. Now this is very, very pivotal, not simply in terms of the agitation of the Zionist lobby today to launch an American war uh, against Iran at the behest of the Zionist state of Israel. It has everything to do with many other situations that the United States has involved itself in where the constitution of this country has not been followed at all. Classic example is Syria. The United States and Israel and Saudi Arabia, without question, created and utilized ISIS as a means of infiltrating Syria and overthrowing the legitimate government of that country, the Alawite Shia regime of Bashar al-Assad. That's bad enough, but in this particular case, when we ask ourselves what the constitutional sanction was for the United States to be involved in Syria militarily... There was no Article One, Section 8, Declaration of War, according to the Constitution of the United States. There was not the even the flimsy authorization to use military force, or AUMF, that has been used in other instances to bring United States forces into a foreign conflict without obeying the Constitution of the United States. And of course, last but not least, once the Americans failed and the Israelis failed to overthrow the Assad regime, uh, courtesy of the intervention of, of Vladimir Putin of Russia, and I fully support Mr. Putin's decision to come to the defense of the legitimate government of that country, the Americans maintain a military force not only without the Constitution of the United States or the flimsy AUMF being involved, but where is the action of the U.N. Security Council as far as authorizing the United States to have all these troops and aviators uh, in Syria? It isn't there. You know it and I know it. So when we start talking about this whole business again of the Zio-American empire, it is important to understand that with all of the puppets in both the Republican Democratic parties who are doing the bidding of central bankers and the Federal Reserve Board and the Israeli lobby and the military-industrial complex, that this is the antithesis of the system of government that was envisioned by the founding fathers of this country and those who had a most direct impact as far as the actual penning of the Constitution of the United States. So when we start getting into this whole analysis of how this happened, let me move from George Washington to Abraham Lincoln. You know one of the interesting things about Abraham Lincoln is there's so much mythology about Abraham Lincoln today it is absolutely rooted in a pack of lies. Dr. Paul Craig Roberts has written about this most recently on several occasions. I urge you to read his work in this regard. There's a book I'm going to recommend to you written by my friend, Dr. Thomas D. Lorenzo. It is entitled The Real Lincoln. The Real Lincoln. Lincoln was not the great emancipator of the slaves that you have been told that he was. Lincoln was the great centralizer who completely perverted the relationship that had existed up to that point between the federal government of the United States and the powers and rights of the individual states who were a part of the Union. So Abraham Lincoln, in fact, was the great centralizer. Abraham Lincoln, by the way, was a white supremacist, and uh, Dr. DiLorenzo goes forth to prove that in this book, if you can get a copy of it. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was chiefly interested in keeping the southern states in the Union for economic reasons and, of course, to continue a situation where the southern states would be at the economic behest of the northern states. And this is where a particular tariff that passed uh, in the United States Congress became particularly important in understanding why the situation with the north and the south finally resulted in armed conflict. By the way, there were all kinds of Western societies where slavery was legal. Eventually, slavery passed from the scene uh, by natural means. There were economic and political forces at work that eventually caused slavery to go out of favor in the Western world uh, as a legitimate institution. The only place in the Western world that I am aware of where a war was necessary to solve this particular question was If that is really what was involved in the war between the states, between the American North and the American South, was in the United States. Dr. DiLorenzo asks a very important question. Why was that the case? Start asking that question and you'll start demythologizing Lincoln, as well as a series of other American presidents and other American actions internationally and domestically that absolutely do not stand the test of the Constitution of the United States. By the way, Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation did not uh, free a single state in the northern states. It only pertained to the south. Why was that so? I'll leave that to your imagination and also for the future in regard to your reading Dr. DiLorenzo's book, The Real Lincoln. That then brings us to, of course, the whole situation as it involved the American imperialism of the late 19th century. Uh, Lincoln set the stage for all of that, both in terms of the ongoing involvement of the United States as it was moving from a constitutional republic to an empire and as the United States started involving itself in various situations militarily, utilizing many of the tactics militarily uh, that Lincoln's army had inflicted on white Southerners during the war between the states. You want to know what really happened to the American Indians in the United States? It all began with Lincoln in terms of the military ideology that was applied with absolute brutal force toward all of those who stood in the way of an increasingly powerful central government in Washington, D.C. That then leads us to the beginning of the 20th century. What is it about the 20th century that served best to create the modern Zionist American empire that so many countries, including Iran, are absolutely chafing over? as well as Americans like me who don't like this entire idea of going to war with countries that should be friends of ours and with which we as individual Americans have absolutely no quarrel whatsoever. Remember, it was the first American president, George Washington, who in his farewell address stated explicitly, explicitly that a foreign policy of the United States should be based on friendship with all entangling alliances with none what would george washington and the founding fathers of this country thought of the north american treaty organization nato uh, which now is involved in all kinds of purposes that have nothing to do with the original statutes of nato as it was originally approved by the united states senate what would george washington and the other founding fathers of this country have thought of the modern american military industrial complex and the absolute economic and political power of the Israeli lobby as expressed through organizations like APAC in the United States. They would have been appalled by it in terms of any legitimate reading of their writings and of the constitution that they created. Nonetheless, I think you can see that as we enter the 20th century, Abraham Lincoln, yes, set in motion many of the things that led to all of the miseries that we now today know as uh, having come together and having been consummated in the so-called Zionist American empire, Woodrow Wilson, in terms of the presidency of the United States, became the next major figure in this deterioration of constitutional government in the United States and the way in which elections were conducted. What happened during the presidency of Woodrow Wilson? Number one, for the first time in American history at the beginning of the 20th century, the federal government of the United States imposed a direct income tax on American citizens. An amendment had to be adopted to allow that to take place. The other thing that happened during the reign of Woodrow Wilson was that the United States government, the United States Congress, passed off on something called the Federal Reserve Act, creating what you and I know today is the Federal Reserve Board. In other words, all of a sudden, the Congress of the United States was no longer responsible for minting the currency of this country and of the United States government. That passed over to a f- private banking corporation, uh, answerable to virtually no one, uh, that today is predominantly linked up with leadership that has direct and indirect uh, connections to the Zionist entity and to the Bank of Israel, among others. Uh, so as you start seeing this whole business uh, during the reign of Woodrow Wilson with the imposition of a direct income tax on American citizens for the first time and the creation of the Federal Reserve Board and the adoption of the so-called Federal Reserve Act, I believe, of 1913, this took power over the money supply and the creation of money uh, from the United States Congress and again gave it to this private centralized banking consortium. These were the tools that became necessary to fuel the American involvement in every war since, including World War I, the sinking of the Lusitania, right? Was that a false flag? I think it was. Do a little research on the sinking of the Lusitania, and you will discover that the American government, in conjunction with the American media of that time, was giving the American public a completely false spin on what this whole business of the Lusitania was about. You know what's fascinating? There was a Republican congresswoman from Montana, Jeanette Rankin, the first female to ever occupy a seat in the United States House of Representatives, Jeanette Rankin holds a very unique distinction. She voted against, was the only one who did as far as I know, the only one who voted against American entry into World War I. Jeanette Rankin was the only one who voted against authorizing an American declaration of war against the Japanese after Pearl Harbor. Why is that, this lady who voted against American involvement in both World War I and World War II? What was it that she knew? I can't answer that question. That's someone that I want to study further in terms of what I can ever, ever find out about her through any original source, historical documents. But suffice it to say that Jeanette Rankin may well have suspected, and I'm guessing at this, I don't know it, that Charles Lindbergh, the great American aviator, the spirit of St. Louis in 1927, uh, flying from the east coast of the United States to Paris, France, and all these other things. It was Charles Lindbergh who got wind of what Franklin Delano Roosevelt was really up to, not what he told the American public in 1940 when he was running for re and said that he would keep American boys out of any future wars in Europe. We now know that from October of 1940 onward, courtesy of the McCollum Memorandum, that Franklin Delano Roosevelt had secretly adopted a series of steps recommended to him by Arthur McCollum, the head of the, uh, the Far Eastern desk of the Office of Naval Intelligence, that would lead the United States into a conflict with Japan, where Roosevelt would deliberately begin setting up the arrangements that would cause Japan to attack the United States. Read those points in the McCollum Memorandum, which is freely available to you now through the uh, auspices of uh, the Freedom of Information Act, FOIA, in this country. All of that is reprinted in Robert Stinnett's book, Day of Deceit, The Truth About FDR and Pearl Harbor. There's another book I would recommend to you, John Coster's Operation Snow, which shows how Harry Dexter White, working at the highest level of the Roosevelt administration at the time, was working hand in glove with Joseph Stalin's chief KGB representative in the United States to ensure that Roosevelt got the war that he wanted with the Japanese via the Pearl Harbor attack. And Charles Lindbergh warned the American public about what was coming and they didn't listen to him. September of 1941, uh, Lindbergh told the people who came to his Des Moines, Iowa address that there were two or three constituencies that were clearly the only ones that were trying to drive the Roosevelt administration into a
1: world war. Did you on a woman more than any woman I've ever known. You lie on a woman more than anyone I've ever known.
2: Did you know the IRS publicly admits that income tax is collected by voluntary compliance? Get the information you need to help you avoid income tax with these five easy steps. All you have to do is go to avoidincometax.com to get your five easy steps on how to avoid the IRS income tax. Escape the IRS. Let avoidincometax.com help you. We guarantee our five easy steps or your money back. Go to avoidincometax.com.
3: Attention freedom-loving patriots. These courses are for you. Gain a comprehensive understanding of our Constitution's principles, the wisdom of our Founding Fathers, and how to apply them in today's world. As a special offer to our freedom-loving listeners of Republic Broadcasting Network, use coupon code RBN at checkout and get 20% discount on any course. Join the Liberty Lighthouse Classroom and be a part of the movement to uphold the values. That have made our nation exceptional Unleash the power of knowledge And protect what truly matters Our constitution Visit liberty-lighthouse.com Slash classroom Today Don't miss this incredible opportunity Use code RBN For 20% off Together we'll be the beacon of freedom Our founding generation envisioned Liberty Lighthouse Classroom Illuminating minds Empowering patriots
4: It's the best around. And be sure to stop by our store. It's loaded with items that'll have you feeling a sense of member pride and victory. Come unite with us today at tlbtalk.com and join the social media revolution.
1: I'm sorry if I hurt you. I'll make it up day by day. Just say you love me like you used to And make the world go away Maybe
0: Another book I would recommend to you, John Coster's Operation Snow, which shows how Harry Dexter White, working at the highest level of the Roosevelt administration at the time, was working hand in glove with Joseph Stalin's chief KGB representative in the United States to ensure that Roosevelt got the war that he wanted with the Japanese via the Pearl Harbor attack. And Charles Lindbergh warned the American public about what was coming, and they didn't listen to him. September of 1941, uh, Lindbergh told the people who came to his Des Moines, Iowa address that there were two or three constituencies that were clearly the only ones that were trying to drive the Roosevelt administration into a world war. One was British banking interests. Two were the Jews. Roosevelt uh, was quite chagrined to hear Charles Lindbergh say this. Charles Lindbergh knew very well that there were powerful Jewish banking interests and world Zionist interests which were trying to advance conditions for the eventual establishment of a state of Israel beyond those, certainly, that the British had begun and with the secret connivance of the United States in that infamous document known as the Balfour Declaration. So in this particular case, of course, uh, Lindbergh then went on to describe how Joseph Stalin in the Soviet Union uh, was the other uh, leg of the triad that one of the United States involved in a war uh, in Europe uh, and in Asia that fitted the interests and designs and desires of the constituencies that uh, Lindbergh had mentioned specifically in Des Moines, Iowa in his speech of September of 1941. Well, this, of course, then brings us to all of the machinations that resulted in 1948 in the creation of the Zionist State of Israel. We won't go into all of those now for purposes of time, as I'm trying to squeeze all of this in in a very, very brief moment for all of you at Sharif University. But suffice it to say that uh, the, the death of James Forrestal, the first American Secretary of Defense may have had everything to do not with his so-called psychiatric episode at Bethesda Naval Hospital in Maryland, where he supposedly deliberately jumped out of a window. Forrestal may have been assassin may have been assassinated. Get a hold of the book "The Assassination of James Forrestal" by David Martin, my good friend. You may discover an incredible amount of evidence there that suggests that Forrestal might have been allowed to disappear permanently because he was a top force, along with General George Marshall, in opposing the attempts of the Truman administration to vote for the legitimization of the Zionist state of Israel, uh, courtesy of the UN. This is how these guys operate. After, of course, all of that period was over with, we ended up with Dwight Eisenhower, My father knew Dwight Eisenhower personally because he worked for an Air Force intelligence organization for a time that had been created by Ike Eisenhower. But at the same time, one has to look at a very, very interesting set of concerns about Eisenhower that resulted in exactly what happened in your country in Iran. 1953, Operation Ajax. We now know, courtesy of a series of things that were declassified by the National Security Archive of George Washington University, that the overthrow of the Mossadegh regime in Tehran in 1953 was orchestrated by the British MI6 and British Petroleum, who recruited President Dwight Eisenhower and the Central Intelligence Agency to enable them Uh, to continue all of the things that have been going on in British foreign policy toward the Iranian government and the Iranian people and the maintenance of British control of what was a natural resource of the people of Iran. But this is where Eisenhower and the CIA enter the picture and courtesy of these released classified documents that my good friends at the american free press have now published in a book that's freely available if you can get your hands on it there in tehran that describes for the average american who's even interested what it was that the united states and the british mi6 were involved in in destroying what was a representative government in tehran does that sound like the foreign policy of George Washington University, our first president, talking about entangling alliances with none and friendship with all? Certainly not.
1: And make the world go away. Say the things you used to say.
2: You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org.
5: Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. You can try Hemp Paste for the price of a cup of coffee.
6: HempPaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit HempPaste.com slash RBN. February is heart month, and every year, Extendivite has a sale. This year is no different. Extendivite is regularly $69.95 plus shipping and handling for a two-month supply. In February, Extendivite is only $57.50 for a two-month supply plus shipping and handling. Extendivite is a combination of garlic, cayenne, hawthorn, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, valerian, and milk thistle. These ingredients work synergistically to improve your overall health. So don't delay. Join the ExtendoVite family today. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot Extend your life
5: with ExtendoVite.
7: Corporate media dominates the American opinion.
2: Charles de Gaulle once said, actually, it's difficult to envision in this regard any other criterion, any other standard than gold. Yes, gold, which does not change in nature, which can be made into either bars, ingots, or coins, which has no nationality, and which is considered in all places and all times the immutable and fiduciary value par excellence. So when the question is, why gold? It's simple, my friends. The answer to that question is simply, why not? Like it or not, precious metals will always be the world's reserve currency, even though nations do not define their currency by their worth and, say, gold. Individuals still buy gold and silver to protect themselves from inflation. The more money a nation's central bank pours into the economy, the less value its currency, the dollar is, which means the price of everything else rises. $21 up for a bag of dog food. Seeing that the dollar is cheap, that's why the cost of everything goes up. It's because the buying power, the value of the dollar is tanked. It's worth nothing. And the gold that your family would have owned in 1907 will buy at least the same amount of goods, if not far more. William McPhee once stated, It's extraordinary how many emotional storms one may weather in safety if one is ballasted with ever so little gold. The truth about money, gold versus cash in a crisis. Gold, a valuable thing to store. The power of gold in times of crisis. Historical sketch of paper currency. Oh, and beware the ides of rare coin dealers. And Alan Greenspan's speech on gold and economic freedom. How interesting. I'm going to give you gold and silver in five easy lessons. Seeking out the most efficient and most secure route to owning gold and converting it into widely accepted currency is the next best thing to enjoying gold-backed currency, my friends. In a world of central bankers hell-bent on devaluing our savings, you need to own private gold standard contact me, Jeffrey Bennett at Kettle Moraine Limited, by calling our phone number at 602-799-8214. That's
0: 602-799-8214. Ah, chicken.
2: An old cop-book went riding out
1: one dark and windy day. Up on a ridge he rested as he went along his way. When all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he saw A plowing through the ragged skies And up a clouded road
0: uh, To continue all of the things that have been going on in British foreign policy toward the Iranian government and the Iranian people and the maintenance of British control of what was a natural resource of the people of Iran. But this is where Eisenhower and the CIA enter the picture and courtesy of these released classified documents that my good friends at the American Free Press have now published in a book that's freely available, if you can get your hands on it there in Tehran, that describes for the average American who's even interested what it was that the United States and the British MI6 were involved in in destroying what was a representative government in Tehran. Does that sound like the foreign policy of George Washington University, our first president, talking about entangling alliances with none and friendship with all? Certainly not. But it goes hand in glove with a foreign policy and with an interpretation of the Constitution of the United States that Zionist interests and Zionist interests in the American government and Zionist interests that began to grow uh, in representation in both houses of the American Congress after the Second World War. The Zionist neoconservative hijacking of what had been the American right wing or the American conservative movement that previously had been led by people like Charles Lindbergh. We discover that after the Second World War going on into the 1950s that William F. Buckley, who founded National Review, which became the flagship magazine uh, for much of the American right after World War II, we are only now learning the extent to which Zionist forces and Zionist money and the direct involvement of the Central Intelligence Agency with those Zionist forces and Zionist money Uh, led to the creation and funding of Mr. Buckley and of National Review in order that from that time on forward, we would see more and more people claiming to represent the American right, who in fact were primarily representing not an America First movement, not the movement of people like Charles Lindbergh and Robert Taft, who, of course, lost the 1952 Republican presidential struggle uh, with Dwight Eisenhower in what was a pivotal shift in the Republican Party away from nationalist Republicans, Republicans who wanted a George Washington foreign policy, entangling alliances with none, friendship with all. Eisenhower's victory in 1952, uh, Buckley's uh, uh, working of the National Review publication uh, at the behest of the CIA and at the behest of Zionist forces operating in this country, began to result in what you see today in the Republican Party in terms of its hijacking by Zionist interests. So we get into Donald Trump, John Bolton, Mike Pompeo, Condoleezza Rice, Nikki Haley, uh, the uh, Lindsey Graham and John McCain and all of these other people, this is the ultimate story behind who these people really are. And it helps to define and to uh, delineate why, in terms of American war policy, which is being driven by Zionist interests and Zionist powers, we see a Republican foreign policy and a Democrat foreign policy under Joe Biden that are increasingly looking like the same thing. So when we start looking at this whole business of how American elections are conducted and the whole business of the influence of a particular foreign lobby in regard to controlling elections, financing elections, having a disproportionate role to play in the ownership of the mainstream American news media, this really explains why there seems to be no ultimate changes in American policy, foreign or domestic, uh, regardless of whether you have a Republican administration or a Democratic administration in power. And so when you start looking at all of these things that have happened since the end of the Second World War and that have happened since Operation Ajax under Dwight Eisenhower in 1953, we come to all of these other instances of things that directly involve a foreign government that was created in 1948, where the United States government was under intense pressure and the Truman administration buckled to that pressure to see that that illegitimate government uh, utilizing the Balfour Declaration as the cover for it uh, became increasingly involved in stealing Palestinian land from the 1947-1948 period onward and eliminating people in the United States from any degree of political influence who opposed those moves. Take a look at the Levon affair, if you will. Take a look at the Kennedy assassination, the book written by my friend Michael Collins Piper, a book entitled Final Judgment. What was the Zionist role in that particular situation? Look at what Israel did after Kennedy's death in stealing American nuclear uh, materials from the new Mech uh, nuclear plant in Apollo, Pennsylvania. We could follow that up with Israel's deliberate attack on the USS Liberty on June 8, 1967 in the Six-Day War. We could get into all of the fake justifications for these many American wars in the Middle East, which would follow. We have few Americans who understand, of course, who was really behind the 9-11 attack and why. We could throw in, of course, the Pollard spy case, the IPAC spy case, the whole business of the obvious Mossad connection uh, to the uh, Epstein-Maxwell sex recruitment and blackmail uh, ring, which is exactly what it was. All of the questions that were never answered about the alleged suicide of Jeffrey Epstein, this has us going on and on and on into a present circumstance We find ourselves wondering how it is that all of the basic advisors to the Biden administration and so many of the people who supported the illegitimate American coup d'etat in Kiev, in Ukraine, in February of 2014, are Zionists, are Jews, in some cases have a dual identity as both American and Israeli citizens. How is it that the people of Ukraine end up with a Jewish drag queen comedian for a president in an orthodox country. And why is it that the American media is not is not uh telling the American public about the persecution of the canonical Russian Orthodox Church in that country or the connections of that government and the American CIA to the assassination of Daria Dugina in Moscow of uh, in August of uh, 2022? Uh, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline bombings, who is behind that? Seymour Hersh knows exactly who's behind that. You and I know exactly who's behind that. And when we start looking at the incredible amount of involvement of American and European banking interests and armaments manufacturers in fueling a surrogate war against Putin's Russia via, via this Ukrainian mess, we discover happily that they're losing. The world economy is de-dollarizing. The American surrogate is losing to Putin's Russian militarily. The fall of Avdievka a day or two ago proves that. And now we have a situation where even with all of the Zionist control of the American news media and American elections, the truth is even being wondered about among average Americans in this country in regard to an Israeli government that has killed some 28 29,000 Palestinians in Gaza, that has wounded almost 70,000 of these people, and where 70% of these fatalities uh, and casualties are among women and children. Think that the Israeli government can continue to sell that? I don't think so. But when you look at a situation where the American public starts counting up the billions of dollars, that their government has served up to all of these different illegitimate operations. And when you start looking at the role of the various constituencies who buy, routinely buy, American elections, courtesy of controlled Supreme Court decisions about campaign finance, when you look at who it is that owns the six major American media consortiums in this country, and when you look at the means that they employ to keep good independent and third-party candidates off the ballot, Corporate money, corporate ownership of media, and ballot access laws in all 50 states that are written by Republicans and Democrats and state legislatures to make sure that those who might have the most independent voices and intelligent voices in representing the American public, if they had a chance in a legitimate election, get no money and no coverage and no ballot access whatsoever unless they spend every dime that they have just to get on the ballot, only to have no money to campaign with in the aftermath. This is where we are today, but I want to leave you with this thought. The American Zio Empire is not the American Republic of old. George Washington understood that. Charles Lindbergh understood that. Robert Taft understood that. Patrick J. Buchanan in more recent times is the only Republican presidential candidate of consequence in my lifetime that wasn't under the control of the Zionist lobby. He's still living and he understands that. And so when we start looking at the way that this whole thing is starting to come apart at the seams, an overextension of the American military empire, the quagmire of Gaza for Netanyahu and his thugs, We are seeing President Putin's Russia absolutely prevailing over this illegitimate government in Ukraine after this 2014 coup d'etat. And now we see your country, Iran, and Hezbollah in southern Lebanon getting ready to take up the banner of uh, Palestinian freedom and liberation from a Netanyahu regime and a Zionist entity that is starting to look increasingly surrounded militarily. By people who will fight and who will fight very well, and where Israel in an international and in an American domestic political opinion is starting to sink. Think of this, folks, the de dollarization of the international economy. You start thinking of this whole business of the crash landing of all of these Western uh, Zionist-controlled governments that have involved their own people illegitimately in these conflicts and in these coup d'etats and assassinations carried out by their various state agencies and intelligence agencies. None of this has anything to do with American constitutional government or legitimate government anywhere else. But these people are losing. De-dollarization in terms of the role of the American reserve uh, currency, uh, dollar is played in the reserve currency of the world. world That's fading away as a result of the establishment of the BRICS organization. Uh, China is rising up as a power similar to Russia in regard to industrial production capacity, uh, military capacities complete with uh, nuclear armaments, and with the determination to reverse the American empire's machinations and what the Chinese may quite rightly reside is their own backyard. And so between the Chinese and the Russians and the Iranians in terms of being the most significant power in the Middle East ready to take on the Israelis once and for all this isn't looking so good for these American and democratic neoconservatives. And I applaud all of that for a simple reason. If Putin wins, If Iran wins in the Middle East, ultimately, with the help of the Russians, and if the Chinese suddenly boot the American Navy out of areas where it doesn't belong, and if the United States suddenly is not going to go to war with China over Taiwan, we might. We might just have a situation where the American public might reappear again. Ending the existence of the Federal Reserve Board returning monet- monetary policy to the United States Congress where it belongs, getting the American military back in the business of protecting the American homeland and getting out of all of these foreign conflicts in which we have no legitimate right to be involved whatsoever, and where we might be taking this 33 or $34 trillion debt that our own Congressional Budget Office says is going to rise to $53 trillion, uh, by the end of the decade, we might begin to get our own house in order again. Not simply in terms of budget and military affairs, in terms of international conflicts, we might get control of our own southern border with Mexico, finally established and resolved once and for all. We can start cleaning up the mess of all of these American urban areas that have become cesspools of crime and perversion of various sorts. And where we might begin to understand, if we go back far enough in American history, that the religious and philosophical and moral presuppositions of the founders of this country has nothing to do with the cultural Marxism which Jewish and Zionist interests have had a foremost power in using to take over American uh, domestic policy at the same time that American foreign policy has been hijacked. In other words, this might be the way, the only way in which the old American po- republic can be recovered. If that's even possible, it may not be. But if it is possible, it's going to take President Putin's victory uh, with the Russians in Ukraine. It's going to take a retrenchment, Uh, of these uh, NATO operations worldwide, hopefully as a prelude to the United States getting out of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization.
1: If you do, then forgive
3: At blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10.
2: Health Simple with Kalwara Shilaji. Fact bit number three. Shilaji is the supreme yoga vaha Within Ayurveda, Shilaji is the singular substance that towers above all other herbs, herbal minerals, and earth made adaptogens. Yoga vaha refers to substances that have the ability to synergistically make better and carry other substances to its prescribed destination. In the case of Shilajee, most any herb, food, or mineral is amplified with ionic potential, superimposing superior efficacy with increased cellular energy and absorption rates. One of the best applications for Shilajee is to add a drop or two into your favorite herbal tincture and foodstuff. Simply put, Shilajee makes other substances more effective.
6: Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. Hi, Tom Bolton for Ease Off. I know so many of you are finding our EZ-4 carcass drop and lift an essential tool for your meat processing operation, but today I want to spotlight four of our new products, First, are right height hog cradles with steel or aluminum frames. Our customers love this back-saving innovation that enhances sanitation and speeds production. Next, our beef cradles with stainless steel or aluminum frames eliminate rust and corrosion. We hope you'll compare our quality and prices for this essential part of your processing line. Our cradles are especially effective when used with our power skinner. And finally, our hook tumbler will keep your hooks clean and polished. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too.
7: EaseOff, LLC. Four one seven nine three two six four one
1: nine. the world go away and get off my
0: Say the that the religious and philosophical and moral presuppositions of the founders of this country has nothing to do with the cultural Marxism which Jewish and Zionist interests have had a foremost power in using to take over American uh, domestic policy at the same time that American foreign policy has been hijacked. In other words, this might be the way, the only way in which the old American po- republic can be recovered. If that's even possible, it may not be. But if it is possible... It's going to take President Putin's victory uh, with the Russians in Ukraine. It's going to take a retrenchment uh, of these uh, NATO operations worldwide, hopefully as a prelude to the United States getting out of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which it should have done at the end of the Cold War. Uh, suddenly we would be in a situation of having good, positive relations with the where all the mistakes that the United States has made from 1953 with Operation Ajax onward uh, might be repented of, in which there might be a new day once again to follow a different course, and most assuredly of circumstance where this current American electoral process, which is governed classically, sadly, by a marriage of multinational corporate and Zionist interests with uh, um, with the American a military-industrial complex, and with the way in which candidates are elected in this country, that is a textbook case for what used to be known as fascism. And at the same time, the American cultural Marxism, which Joseph Biden himself admits has disproportionately been pushed on the people of this country effectively by the Jewish Zionist lobby in the United States, We might see the beginning of a new day with a more positive American moral outlook in the future that revives our traditional families that results in decreases in crime that results in a greater respect for human life and for a return of peace and civility uh, in political discourse as well as what is going on, especially in the major cities of this country. So this is not what we currently have in regard to how far afield we have gone from the original intent of the American Constitution uh, and, the, and those who penned it. I hope that I've done something today very, very briefly in outlining how all of this uh, over a period of time has resulted in the mess that we now see today. And most uh, most appropriately, as I close my segment of this video, I simply like to uh, wish all of my friends in Iran the best of luck and the best of good fortune. I hope that our countries remain at peace with one another as the people of this country hopefully figured out who it is that is driving them into a war that we need not have with you. And I hope at the end of the day... That once again we see civility between sovereign nation states and free trade between sovereign nation states and a mutual respect for international law and human life that gets rid of this globalist, global homo, Zionist de ball both in the United States and elsewhere in Western governments once and for all. God bless you.
5: people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs for some the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare have you ever wondered why cbd oil is a billion dollar industry it's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you
6: Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN.
4: You
0: can't handle the truth!
4: You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit republicbroadcasting.org today because you can handle the truth.